This podcast is sponsored by Agroplante. Imagination, innovation, science in action. As a disclaimer, views expressed in interviews are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of My Ag Life, JCS Marketing, and its employees. Welcome to My Ag Life, where we cover your world in agriculture. This podcast is powered by the top publications in the industry West Coast Nut, Progressive Crop Consultant, and Organic Farmer Magazine. Here is your host, Taylor Chalstrom. Hi, welcome to My Ag Life. Today we're talking with Western Agricultural Processors Association's Roger Isom, Priscilla Rodriguez, and Chris McLaughlin about ag regulatory updates in the month of May. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. So, Chris, when I last spoke with Roger on the show, there were some updates to the Clean Fleet Rule for electric trucks, and it seemed like the state was really asking a lot here, especially in the area of electric infrastructure required to accommodate these fleets. Can you kind of speak to some of the concerns surrounding that infrastructure there? Yeah, so uh, the California Air Resources Board met last month to approve the Advanced Clean Fleets Regulation, which basically is uh, uh, electrification of uh, certain businesses throughout California with 50 or more trucks or $50 million in sales. You know, that was one of our biggest highlights uh, in our public testimony, uh, one of three ag associations to comment during the, the proposed rulemaking effort. And we focused primarily on those concerns to electrification in the agricultural industry. You know, we've long been kind of the industry that's put on the back burner by the utilities specifically. And we specifically pointed out specific cases where uh, agricultural businesses have been put on long wait lists for even the most simplest projects. I mean, the one that we really utilize the most is that we have a farm that was looking to connect a new shop that they had built. It's a small 40 kilowatt connection, and they've been on the wait list for six years up to this point. And that's that's a business that doesn't have to electrify their fleets or any trucks or anything like that. It's a simple connection. Uh, highlighting other businesses that have long had to be on the wait list are, you know, a facility that's had two uh, natural gas generators. They're permitted, but they're using those specifically to power their business because their utility provider will not connect them to the grid. Additionally, another site uh, in our area in Fresno uh, that has been on a three-year wait list to be interconnected and again, this is long before any uh, efforts to electrify their fleet have even been really thought of or, or made up to this point. And so, you know, sitting through these meetings, it's been kind of a frustrating process to hear uh, some of the major utility providers uh, that service the Central Valley get up time and time again over the last three years of this rulemaking effort and say, you know, we have no issue whatsoever with being able to electrify fleets within the Central Valley. <clears throat> but then when you put them on the spot, it, and really highlight the needs that are going to result uh, as of this rule, it's it's a major concern. And we don't think that they're ready for this. Um, they ask for this kind of granular data on what the kind of demand is going to be for some rural operations. Uh, and not having that in preparation for this rule being enacted is a major concern for us, uh, for these businesses to be able to be in compliance in this rule moving forward. Yeah, you definitely highlight there that lack of preparation that, you know, it, it it's being pushed so hard, but if they can't even provide the actual um, 
you know, technology to, to accomplish this role, then what's it all for? Um, one other, another thing I'm curious about, Chris, is, you know, in, in recent years, you know, electricity rates have really spiked. Is that also kind of a, a concern when you're talking about implementing more electric infrastructure to accommodate these fleets? Is, is that part of the conversation? Definitely. Uh, we know that PG&E has a general rate case currently uh, before the CPUC, and they're proposing a 45% increase uh, as of right now. And now they go through the process and maybe that gets knocked down. Even half of that is still a, around a 25% increase on rates to our, you know, our industry and rate payers as a whole. And it should be noted that all of their funding increases up to this point are directly going towards the utilities efforts to underground their lines. This isn't providing any increased throughput or electrifying specific rural areas. It's just fixing the system that they have currently in place and undergrounding the lines to avoid any further catastrophic wildfires that have occurred in the past. So any efforts to electrify that will require more equipment, more installation, more work time, to try and interconnect these facilities is directly going to come out of our pockets through general rate cases and increases. So how is anyone actually going to be able to pay for that? Is there going to be some sort of incentives available down the line? I mean, like it, it's, it's definitely not everyone is going to be able to just up and get up and, and pay for that. I feel. Right. Right. Uh, as of right now, I I'm, currently not as uh, well-versed in the incentives specifically towards electrification. Um, we know that there are incentive programs for equipment uh, and electrifying equipment, mainly diesel trucks, transitioning diesel trucks to the electric infrastructure. But the heavy cost that's going to come with purchasing new electric equipment, uh, I haven't really seen anything specific to the increase in utility uh, cost that's going to be associated with compliance in this rule. Certainly. And Chris, you were kind of talking a little bit about... Um talking with these state agencies. I understand WAPA was part of this meeting last week with these state agencies where the clean fleet rule was discussed and some of this uh, infrastructure uh, business as well. Were there any solutions brought up to these agencies? Maybe what could be actually proposed to maybe make this ruling easier on everyone, I suppose? Yeah, so we, we were able to organize a pretty high-level meeting with uh, representatives from the California Air Resources Board, uh, the Public Utilities Commission, the California Electric, uh, the CEC, excuse me, uh, and the CPUC as well, regional representatives from PG&E and SoCal Edison, uh, as well as representatives from the San Joaquin Valley Air Pollution Control District. You know, with, an, with that many high level people in the room, uh, and this being the first meeting of its kind, you know, I think it, this was more uh, an information sharing opportunity, specifically to voice our concerns, like what we talked about previously with, you know, major concerns specific to electrifying the agricultural industry, how we've long been put on wait lists. Um, I think it was, I, I wouldn't say that any solutions have necessarily bubbled up as a result of this first meeting, but I think it highlighted a necessity that these meetings need to occur uh, more more of these meetings need to occur in the future uh, to be able to kind of drill down to exactly what's needed from our side and from the utilities perspective uh, and how we can really try and reach this uh, mutual understanding, whether it be uh, a compliance pathway or 
potentially highlighting major concerns and issues that are as a result of this rulemaking. And having ARB in the room is, is very significant for us because, like I said before, they've long been at the understanding that these utility companies are, are able to meet the demands that are going to result of this rule. And I think through that meeting, it, it really kind of backtracked that a little bit uh, and highlighted the need that there is going to be more work that comes out of it. There is more uh, the utility companies are going to need to do a lot more in order to be able to help and assist us in compliance with this rule. And so whether that be, uh, you know, incentive funding, like we were just previously talking about, or an increased workload on the utility companies to be able to provide that kind of service and interconnectivity, I think it's just highlighting the major concerns that we have with this rule, really putting, putting a target on, you know, what some of those areas are that they can do on their end, whether it be ARB or the utilities. Uh, and then again, progressing forward as whether we find ways to comply or whether ARB needs to take another deep dive, look at this and see uh, just how unworkable the, the current proposal is. I think one of the biggest revelations, not to us, but to the utilities and the folks in the room was what is it, what are these charging stations? What is their demand and, and what does it take? I think some of the utilities uh, were looking at this as like the car charging, right? These aren't a big demand. Oh, yeah, we can add. You got 12 trucks, no big deal. One of the things that came out of this meeting was that these fast charge charging stations for trucks are a megawatt a piece or more. Um, even at the start of this meeting, utilities started to say, oh, we think we can do it. We, you know, long range plans. But when we asked the specific question, how do you handle the fact that there are 370,000 trucks registered in California, another 1.3 million coming in, and that they, the majority of them or a large part of them might need these DC fast charging stations at a megawatt apiece, they, they backed up. And Edison specifically said, look, we think we've got five megawatts of capacity in each of our grids. Um, uh, PG&E said they didn't give a specific number, but said they could. But when that came out, they stopped and said that's an issue. Um, PG&E said for every 20 megawatts, that's a new substation. That's not an upgrade. That's a new substation. So one of the things, uh, one of the other industry groups that was there was the California Trucking Association. And they talked about drage trucks because those are the first trucks up in this rule. And they said they estimate the demand just for the dredge trucks going to the Port of Long Beach and Port of Los Angeles is 2,500 megawatts. Diablo Canyon only produces 2,250. Um, to give you some, some relativity there as to what, you know, what does this mean? They're not prepared for this. It's what we've been telling them all along. You, you cannot handle what's out there if you can't, you look at the examples that Chris gave, if you can't handle those, you start adding a megawatt uh, of demand for a charging station. Uh, again, to give you some scale, our almond hullers, our cotton gins, you know, we're looking at a, a megawatt to two megawatts for the largest ones, for the entire facility. If I've got 10 trucks, I'm gonna go add 10 megawatts on there. Not gonna happen, not gonna happen. So I think that was probably one of the biggest things that came out of that meeting was that the fact that the people that were speaking up at the meetings like Chris was talking about were wrong. They were underestimating what this demand was going to be. And that's a huge problem. Definitely. Uh, 
thank you for kind of highlighting the that scale, Roger. It's kind of scary to think about the the level of potential unpreparedness that um, seems to kind of be the case right now. I mean, hopefully, we hope for you know a solution where there is a adequate level of preparedness, but at, at the moment, it doesn't really seem like that's that's shaping up right now and i guess that's where these concerns about the infrastructure itself uh lie so thank you chris and roger for, for those comments we're going to be right back after a word here from our sponsors agroplante is the leading manufacturer in specialty products agroplante formulates products that rise to the challenge of today's growing conditions Saline and sodic soils reduce crop yield and cause significant crop losses. Agroplante developed Cation EX5 Plus with growers in mind to manage soil salinity. With multiple years of research, Cation EX5 Plus has proven to be an excellent source of calcium and an effective soil salinity manager. Run it through drip irrigation without any issues. Simplify your application method with innovative and efficient formulations. Alleviate salinity stress with Cation EX5 Plus. Agroplante, imagination, innovation, science in action. Don't miss your opportunity to attend the only event of its kind taking place this summer. Join us on June 21st, 2023 in Modesto, California for the Crop Consultant Connect event. The Crop Consultant Connect event will bring you and many of your independent crop consultant peers together. You'll also get access to virtual CE hours as an exclusive thank you for attending this event. Your registration includes breakfast, lunch, coffee, snacks, as well as a wealth of information you're able to glean from this experience. Please visit ProgressiveCrop.com for more information. Join us on June 21st in Modesto, California for the Crop Consultant Connect event. Hi, we're back talking with Western Agricultural Processors Association's Roger Isom, Priscilla Rodriguez, and Chris McLaughlin about ag regulatory updates in the month of May. Uh, so Priscilla, uh, this next one's for you. Another key regulation kind of in the works right now is this indoor heat illness regulation rule. And again, when I last spoke with Roger on this, he said this seems more really like a solution that's looking for a problem in his words. Uh, I'm just curious what we're seeing with the rule right now, Priscilla, and how it might actually negatively impact some employers here. Well, Taylor, thanks for having me on. Um, certainly Roger's um, response to that was absolutely true. And this is going to negatively impact a lot more people than than folks think. So what Pelosha is proposing is that any indoor facility that has an indoor temperature of 82 degrees or above would be affected by this rule. Now, when you think of that, you think of any indoor facility and you're looking in agriculture. So you're talking about certainly like facilities that we represent on the cotton side. So the cotton gins, hullers, walnut hullers, almond hullers, pistachio hullers, but you're also looking at farms, right? Your, your traditional farm shop, that's an indoor facility. And when you start considering the grass or the, the um, length that this covers and seeing how many people are going to be required to be within this rule and meet this really ridiculous and unworkable, um, unworkable regulation, it, it really does, um, it's an eye-opener. So when you think of 82 degrees, I don't know about you, but I don't think that's very hot or even 87 degrees. So what the world would require them to do is have some engineering controls 
that would bring the internal temperature down to below 82 degrees, 87 degrees in certain areas, 82 degrees in others. Now that's just really infeasible for most people to do. So I think let's consider a cotton gin. So cotton gins operate mostly in the, the month of October, October, November, December, and so on. Now they purposely have equipment inside their facilities that um, are meant to dry the cotton. So there's heaters in there for that function, right? Now, because of that, they're gonna have temperatures that exceed 87 degrees. Now, when you consider trying to do some air conditioning units or something along the line to try to cool it down to 87 degrees, that is gonna be a huge cost because these buildings aren't meant for that. So I know that Roger's done some work and reached out to some of our membership to see what, what costs, what are we actually looking at? And um, just getting some preliminary numbers from some HVAC systems, HVAC companies, they're upwards of millions of dollars, a million dollars plus just to be able to retrofit their building and meet this requirement. Now that's just one facility. Now, could you imagine every farm shop, every hauler, every packing house, you know, citrus packing house, this is really just, it, it affects a wide range of folks. Now in agriculture, you know, we haven't had this issue. This issue isn't for agriculture. This was a, a specific case down in LA in a warehouse where you know temperatures rose and there was a specific one specific instance where an employee was in a warehouse. It was you know an extremely hot day in LA and you know succumbed to illnesses due to heat illness. We haven't had that case here. We have you know our outdoor heat standard where we actually use facilities like the Huller and the Almond facility as a shade structure to meet the requirement for the outdoor heat illness. And now they're saying now your indoor heat illness now you're going to have to have these facilities that are below 87 degrees. And really, it's just, it's an unfeasible um, regulation. And we're strongly pushing against it for, you know, for those reasons specifically. Yeah, definitely. So Roger, these regulatory topics that we we just discussed and more will, um, will be kind of talked about at the, the WAPA annual conference in June coming up here. Uh, just curious how the event's shaping up this year, what it's going to look like. Well, the event is shaping up. Uh, we increased our hotel rooms three times and and have still sold out. And now we're working on a fourth time with a different hotel. Uh, so definitely uh, it's going to be a bigger uh, event than we've ever had. In terms of the topics that we're going to be covering, you know, it's, it, it's amazing. It's frustrating really as to the regulatory issues, legislative issues we face here in California compared to any other states. It's uh, it's so much easier to grow pecans and pistachios in Arizona than anything here in California. So, you know, nonetheless, we've got the issues we've just talked about uh, and several others uh, from a legislative perspective, you know, everything's talking about taking away our pre-existing water rights to eliminating farmer funding that we've been using to replace tractors to new requirements on greenhouse gases, um, maybe a seven days of paid sick leave. There is a lot going on in the state. Uh, we didn't even touch on the electric forklift rule that's gonna be heard in September. Uh, so there's a lot going on. We're gonna cover all of those topics uh, at the meeting. We've also got a couple of legislators from the Problem Solvers Caucus. And this is where they're taking Republicans and Democrats that say, you know what? Some issues, we got to put politics aside. We've got to solve the biggest problems facing this state. And so we've got uh, 
Uh, Assunman Heath Flora and Assunman Carlos Villapudua uh, are going to both be there um, to talk about what they're doing and some of these critical issues. We've got a really interesting speaker uh, because climate change in California is the topic. We've got Dr. Patrick Moore, who came from the other side, uh, was originally one of the founders of Greenpeace, but has since kind of seen just how far off those guys are. And while there, you know, there are issues from an environmental perspective that need to be addressed, there's better ways. Uh, and and keeping jobs, and and that is really what we've got to focus on, and focus on the technologies that, that keep us in business, but solve those problems. And so, Dr. Patrick Moore is going to be our keynote speaker. We've also, as you know, labor issues just continue to plague California from a again regulatory perspective. We've got all these PAGA, uh, Private Attorney General Act lawsuits out there. Uh, so we've got Rebecca House Schultz and Alden Parker from the law firm of Fisher Phillips coming in to give us uh, a really in-depth labor update and what are any new rules that we need to be looking out for and what are the existing ones that we ought to be paying attention to. And then obviously uh, our uh, regulatory and legislative update from the staff, from the three of us that are, we're going to hit the highlights, the critical ones that that our members need to be aware of. Definitely. Well, it sounds like another exciting conference, Roger, and I'm sure some of the folks listening right now will um, will be in attendance. So we're looking forward to seeing everyone there. Roger, Chris, thanks for coming on the show today. Priscilla already left, but thanks for coming on the show and, and chatting about some of the regulatory updates that we're seeing in the industry right now. Glad to do it. And thank you for the opportunity. Definitely. Thanks, guys. This is Taylor Charleston from My Ag Life. Thank you for listening. Subscribe for updates, exclusive content, and more at myaglife.com.